Um, Sveta, if you are ready with your question, please go ahead. Okay. One year ago, um, maybe you remember, Tom, I asked you about why my sister is uh, so silent. She was dying. You said she was terrified, and you looked at her and uh, in your way, and uh, she was terrified. Um, so she died. She repeatedly told us she was psychologically tortured by her husband. She died in a lot of fear because of that, and maybe she died because of that as well. Two weeks later, out of nowhere, um, my mother died. Two more weeks later, my two animals died. That triggered my bipolar, and my family had to go through a lot of trouble and pain until now, basically, chasing me and trying to pin me down. I was everywhere. I was running to Mexico, everywhere. I was really not feeling well. Um, I couldn't deal with it, uh, especially with the part that she was basically killed. Um, so my first question is uh, whether uh, you can tell if it's somebody's doing, because uh, you, t you told as many times that we can um, hurt and we can heal and uh, and some people uh, use hurting techniques um, so this is the first question so the first question is can you use your mind to hurt no if you can look into my family situation and see if this is the case Oh, to see whether or not, to see the reason of why your sister died? Was it indeed somebody doing things to her? Yeah. Well, it always takes two in those situations. When somebody's trying to do something to you, if you are fearless and you do not have the ego and beliefs, then... They can't really touch you. They can't really hurt you. You're beyond their reach. So when, when you have, you know, the, the voodoo person is, is hurting somebody else, it's because that somebody else that they're hurting is connected to them in some way and usually fears the connection. So it takes two to dance in that particular dance. That's uh, true. One, That's yeah. One needs to, one needs to be fearful. And and the other one, of course, is fearful if they're negative. They're full of fear as well. But, yes, that kind of thing can happen. And it generally does happen not in a – not necessarily in the sense that the person is an evil being trying to hurt the other. It's just typically the person is a is a person of high entropy, full of their own fear and full of their own dysfunction full of beliefs, full of, their, full of their ego, and they hurt other people, not intentionally, but unintentionally. They're hard on other people. They're demanding. They, uh, you know, it has to be their way. They find fault with other people, tell other people that they're not good enough, and so on, which can do a lot of damage to those other people. But it's not so much that that person needs to hurt other people as it is that they're just dysfunctional themselves. And sometimes that that dysfunction comes out as they do take pleasure in hurting other people. Sometimes they're that far gone. 
So those things, those things happen. And yes, you have relationships, particularly between spouses where they don't get along very well and they argue a lot and they, they tend to, uh, have a very high stress relationship in those, in those high stress relationships. Neither person usually lives very long because that high stress takes its toll on the, on the mind and on the body, both. It, uh, has, yeah, it. Sorry, but what about the multiple deaths in a family in such a short time? Well, a couple of reasons for that and, you know, possible reasons. One may have been, it just happened that way. You know, it was just, there is a lot of, there is a lot of random process going on in your life. There's lots of players and lots of things going on. And sometimes things like that just happen. They like to pile up on you. You know, we have the same, you know, when it rains, it pours, you know, when things go bad, they seem to just keep going bad. Well, part of that is uh, as things go bad, you get more negative. And as you get more, more negative, you tend to have you know, more negative things happening in your life. And other times, other times it could be that the system is just giving you a challenge. You know, these things, these things are about to happen anyway. They're going to happen sooner or later, maybe within the next month or so. And perhaps it would be something for you to be challenged with, to be able to deal with. And, uh, but it's not going to, the system isn't going to, you know, kill your pets or kill a person just to give you the lesson. You know, it's not that kind of a system. It's a system that does thing that helps everybody grow and everybody uh, lower their entropy. But it can arrange things within the uncertainty to help provide lessons and structures for people. That does happen all the time. I know I've been in situations where it's sort of when it rains, it pours, and it just looks like one one disaster after a next after a next tends to happen. And I've often taken that as a challenge to me to deal with all of those and not let that get me down, not let that put me in a negative space, but to deal with each one of them and to realize that no matter how bad it looks, that's usually your ego talking. It really isn't that bad. If you look at it from a bigger picture, okay, there's there's a series of deaths in the going on. Well, for your sister's case, she ended a very dysfunctional situation and now can be in a very functional situation. Well, that's a happy thing. She's gotten out of a terrible situation, one that wasn't working for her. Well, it's good to get out of those kinds of situations. And you can say, well, that was good. Maybe that's why she got that illness, because she needed to get out of it. And that's the only way that she knew how to get out of it. So in that case, her passing was a was a very positive thing. She needed she was ready to restart. She had kind of got wadded up in that existence and and, uh, you know, rebooting was the right answer for her rather than to continue to, to go in a bad way. And then the fact that it would happen to uh, another person in your family would not be that unusual because somebody's passing usually is a very high stress thing and stress tends to damage your health. And if your health is very marginal to begin with, the stress of a death can create another yeah, death. Yeah, she, she literally collapsed. Yeah, that happens all the time. In two weeks. Yeah. Okay, okay. This is, uh, this removes, uh, fear at least, uh, of somebody's trying to dis, uh, 
uh, kill my family. You no, know, Christ. no, it's not like that. No, it's not like that. There is no outside force that's trying to, uh, you know, wreak havoc on your family. That is, that is not, uh, you know, that's not likely. I don't, uh, I don't see any of that. It's just situations happen that way. And then the pets dying, who knows? You know, that, uh, again, falls in the margins. Maybe that was because they were ready for that. Maybe they were older. Maybe there was the disease they had. Who knows? But stuff like that just happens. Yeah, let the fear go. There's nothing out there that's, that's targeting you. It's just a matter of, these things happen and you need to deal with them and deal with them in a positive way. You know, death is not a terrible thing. Death is a reboot. It's a, it's a, it's a moving on. It's getting unstuck. It's getting out of, you know, what you were doing and getting a whole new set of experiences to work with. It's a very positive thing in the bigger picture. It's not a terrible I, thing. I don't know. At I, all. I'm done. I'm done. I'm not rebooting. <laughs> You know what I mean? No reincarnation for me. I'm done. I'm kidding, of course, but I'm so tired. Um, okay, so the second question is, um, so I think two years ago I started to watch your uh, videos and uh, uh, practice meditation. Mm -hmm. uh, it was hard at first and everything, but then uh, it became to the point uh, that I, I got so good at it that uh, I basically lived there. It's kind of hard for me to live outside of there. You know, all I have to do is close my eyes and everything is moving. I can go there and snap a shot for my painting or I can go there and um grab a poem i even published a book and it's kind of surprisingly uh successful for uh, the beginner you know and then a few days ago and it was always very light very fairy taleish uh, uh a flood a flood of visions and uh and and dreams then I had a terrifying, most real nightmare, uh, if it classifies as nightmare because it was real. The man came in and laid on me. It was so real, every sound, breathing. Uh, I was, it was too intense and real for a dream that uh, scared me into, what if I'm going into places I'm not ready for? Or if it's a test for the next level, which is the second question. Is, is it a test for the next level or uh, it's saying uh, stop going there? Oh. And, and also if it's, uh, if it could affect uh, what is going on in my family, you know, like maybe I'm causing something by going there so often. Yeah. No, I don't think it has anything to do with your family. Uh, it's not to get you to stop going to the non-physical. That's a good thing for you to do, although you need to stay balanced in it. You can't just retreat and escape into the non-physical. You need to balance interaction and, and connection with the outside world as well. So you do need more balance, but I suspect yeah. that what you, what you got 
was a a fear test to see how you would respond to to uh, something like that, and possibly the system may be trying to nudge you to more balance to where you engage in the outside world as well as with the inside world. Um, but I don't know. I'd have to know more about your, you know, your situation. Sometimes, you know, you can, you can be very much engaged in the non-physical and that's okay. And other times you can be almost entirely engaged in the physical and that's okay. But there needs to be some balance, even though you can be out of balance for short periods of time either way. You need in general to have a, a balance. So it's possible the system would like you to have more balance. That's a possibility. It's also a possibility it was a fear test, although with all that you had just gone through, I would think it would probably not be a good idea for the system to give you a fear test when you are uh, already having, you know, a lot of trouble. That that wouldn't sound like a very smart move, but sometimes the system, the system is kind of automated and it just cranks on and does its thing without a lot of thought, and um, that, that, occasion, that occasionally happens. Mm-hmm. Great, makes uh, so much sense. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sveta. Um, Mao, if you'd like to go ahead with your question. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes. Can hear you. Yes. Okay. Thank you, uh, Tom. I have been following some spiritual teachings for some time because I think that spiritual evolution is what really matters at the end. But experiencing this virtual reality has been uh, presenting a very big challenge for me. What could be a way to know and understand what is it that I would really love to do in this lifetime? Because I hope that with those findings I will be able to live a social and financial productive life and eventually see how everything gracefully falls into place as a result of living with passion, joy, fun, motivation and self-discipline. So far I have tried to reconnect with my inner self trying to understand how and at which point in my life uh, self and social fears began to be cause of my limitations and how those fears have got me away from following my own unique path. However, over the last 10 years, I haven't got uh, my answers yet and I am uh, 27, so I have been spending 10 years in this and I I, I don't seem to be able to, to discover what is it that I need to aim for and to have fun with it, and to and to really enjoy it, uh, regarding a productive adult life. Well, well, a couple of things come to me here. They are: you need to grow up, and. You know, become love, get rid of the fear. You need to work on those fears, get rid of them, work on the ego, things that are, that happen in your life that are negative. Find a, find that negativity related to ego, related to fear and work on getting rid of it. You have to just have growing up as your, as your goal. 
I just want to grow up. I want to get rid of my fear and get rid of my uh, beliefs and my ego. And if that's your goal, then the um, the passion, the joy, the fun, and all of that will just come along without you trying to do any of it. It just it just as you grow up, those things should happen. They just are part of being grown up. You don't have to make the the joy and the passion and the fun the goal. It just happens. The goal is just to grow up and to make better choices, to get rid of the fear, to see bigger pictures, to appreciate other people, to uh, be helpful, to help other people, to see them, uh, you know, and accept them the way they are, to be caring, you know, all these things that have to do with growing up and becoming love. That's the goal. The, the joy and the passion and the fun of it just happens on its own. So I think if you try too hard and you push forward too seriously, uh, that's a funny way to say it, but if you, if you try too hard, you often get stuck in a, in a kind of process rut that you don't seem to be making much progress in. Because you're working at it, you're working at it, but that working often comes from the intellect. You work at it from the intellect. The intellect is saying, okay, what should I do next? What should I do next to, you know, make progress? And then you come up with some answer. Well, I should be, you know, doing this. Okay, then you go do that. Well, all of that's intellectual. And that intellectual stuff won't really get you very far. You have to be it. Not just go through the motions, not think it, not uh, work at it from the intellect, but rather be it at the being level. So this matter of, let's say, uh, caring for people and having empathy and appreciating um, all of the good things, you know, the the gratitude and, and the things that, you know, you can just experience in your own life. Those have to be things not that you intellectually look for and try to find. But things that you you feel, you feel that compassion for others, you feel that empathy for others, and how can I help? And what can I do to you know to be of to service here and be useful to people? Not from an intellectual point, but from a being level point. And I don't know if I'm making if that difference is making sense to you, but I do find that people who lead with their intellect often tend to get in a rut and they get stuck and they have trouble making progress. Because they're trying to be something, rather they're trying to be it, but they're never really just letting go and being it. They're not just, they want to be kind, but, and they may even try being nice to people, being particularly kind, but as long as you're doing that from the intellect, it's a, it's an, an action. It's, it's an acting. It's not a being. You have to just be kind because you are, not because you think you should be. So getting out of the intellectual mode, getting into the being level mode, becoming authentic and just being who you are, not trying <clears throat> to be good or trying to lower your entropy, just <clears throat> be it. Just be who you are and then let those chips fall where they may as you are yourself. So maybe that would be a, a thing for you to, to, to start working on is just finding the authentic you. But if you overthink things, you get stuck in the intellect, and the intellect will only take you so far. 
the intellect will give you a direction to go in, but you actually have to go there in the being level. You have to be it. So is that helping? Uh, oh, yeah, Tom. Well, thank you very much. Yes, indeed, uh, it makes a lot of sense to me, what you what you are telling me. And uh, I, I think, yes, I am... I am seeing things for, from a very intellectual uh, perspective when it comes to my daily life. I may, and I let spiritual thoughts go on, but uh, I don't let, often I don't let them um, into my daily life. So I think that's a problem. Yes. I just uh, yes. have them as thoughts and as ideas and I live my life with my intellect. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. But I, I think I get the point. I think I really get the point, and uh, I am very grateful for that. Uh, I think I know what I need to do, really. Thank you very much. And, well, uh, do I get the chance to ask a, th a second question? Sure, sure. Okay, sure. thanks. Well, um, recently I started to practice meditation. Um, by meditation, I mean that I uh, tried to ignore whatever was happening in my mind and whatever was happening on my body, ignoring everything for a period of time and just trying to to be without thinking. Mm -hmm. And, well, the first day that I did that, uh, it, it was great. I mean, I felt great and everything was uh, very pleasing. But the, the second day, uh, it was actually kind of terrifying. Uh, I was like busy with my work and busy with all other things. So I said to myself, well, I will force the meditation now because I want to, I want to find something. Uh, even if I am not feeling like meditating now, I will do it because I want to, to find something. So I forced meditation by forcing me to, to close my eyes and stop doing anything. And well, um, after a little while, maybe in 15, 20 minutes, uh, it started to getting uh, really uh, terrifying. I started to get really anxious. I started to get some, some really fear dips. So I opened my eyes and then I tried to go out to the garden and relax and stuff, but I wasn't, I, it seems like I wasn't able to return to this reality and that and that feeling was really scary because now I was trapped uh, in the middle of the night uh, in a place that I don't know and it felt really terrifying so my question is uh, should, uh, because usually people don't say this about meditation I didn't expect to be terrifying but it was so my question is should I move on with meditation or should I uh, meditate in another way or I need to slow down or, or just face it as it comes uh, regardless of how uh, terrifying it can be what what are your recommendations of this because it is my only sec is my second day only on meditation okay, okay. I said you should I continue should with the meditation with the yeah continue with the meditation that's um, an important process for you now because that's where you're going to get in touch with your being level. And you are living life out of your head, out of your intellect. And that is part of the problem. When you forced yourself in this meditation to do it anyway, even though you didn't feel like it, 
that was not a good thing. Meditation, you have to come to gently because you want to, because, you know, it's something you want to do. If you're doing it um, on a forced march, that is likely to take you someplace that you don't want to go. That what happens then is because you don't really feel like it. You're meditating, but not wanting to meditate. Your intellect gets in the road, in the way and starts to create problems which will kind of end the meditation, but says you force the meditation anyway, so you create more problems. And that issue you had with not being able to get out of it and that being scary, that was just your own fear. There really was nothing there. You weren't trapped. You were trapped in your own fear. You were trapped in your own intellect. It was, um, if you could uh, have just said, oh, well, I'm a little spacey now. Let me just lie down and take a nap and not been, to upset with it, it would have just disappeared. So it's not that there was something out there that was going to get you or that you had wandered into a space that you couldn't get out of. That was just fear when you interpret it that way. You were in an unpleasant state because your your desire to meditate and your desire not to meditate were kind of having a war with each other. And, and as that war kind of got going, it created a dysfunctional state that causes a difficulty so if you don't feel like meditating you're not in a the mood then don't just let it go to another time that's not a good time forcing it is not good now on the other hand if you can say well i'm tense i'm kind of uptight and stressed now relaxation would really be nice so i'm just going to let all that go and meditate for a half an hour just to release the stress that's fine because then you can let it go you you're releasing stress and That'll work okay. But you got in this, this loop where your intellect wanted to do one thing and you wanted to do another and a battle took place. You against yourself and that ended up being a very unpleasant place to be in. So you can be stressed and still meditate, but it, you have to want to. You have, and if you're just beginning meditating, you have to be meditating for at least three months, like daily for three months before you really get a sense of what's going on and what it's like. You can't get to conclusions too quickly. You have to just kind of take the experience as it comes. I'd say, uh, you know, wait a couple of days past the bad experience, get to a place where you really feel like meditating again and doing it just for a short period of time, gain a little confidence in the process. And then maybe do it a little longer time until you gain more confidence in the process. Because as you lack, as you lack confidence, that means you have some fear about it. If you have fear about it, you will tend to make those fears come true. Fear tends to create what it's afraid of. It manifests what it's afraid of. So go back and kind of start over, if you will, but do it gently and kindly. You don't, uh, don't push it on yourself. Just let it be what it is. And if you start to meditate and the thoughts just keep coming and you can't really get into that mood, then say, well, it's not a good time. Let it go and uh, don't push it. But when you live out of your intellect, you're used to pushing things. Well, no, I've decided to meditate, so I'm going to meditate. So let's just do this thing anyway. And then you start pressing it because that's the way intellectuals work. Intellectuals, you know, Make come to choices, they make choices and then damn it, they'll, you know, they're going to make that choice happen regardless of what's going on. And that's just living out of your intellect. 
And that is not a real good way to, to, to approach a meditation. You have to approach it from letting go, not from being in control. Okay, Tom, well, everything uh, makes a lot of sense. And yeah, since that happened, I haven't meditated uh, since that happened. So uh, I'm guessing I'm, I'm feeling just a little bit uh, of fear towards meditating again. But I, I will uh, take your advice and start little by little again, not forcing mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. and just uh, expecting it to, to manifest again, but... Uh, just to to know that there is nothing to fear about meditation. Yeah. There is nothing to fear, about, nothing it to fear all, about it at all. And you will find that what you're really accomplishing is just getting acquainted with your own consciousness. That what's that's what meditation will do for you. It it will get you acquainted with your own consciousness. It's not going to put you in a scary place. The fear that you found was all self-created. So, yes, kind of come up to it slowly. Build your confidence because it's a really good thing to do. People who are out of balance toward the, the intellect running their life need to meditate. People like that particularly need to meditate. It'll help you find more balance in your life and everything. All the aspects of your life will get better if you meditate, but it will take probably three months before you'll kind of get used to it. So take it slowly. Okay, Tom. Well, uh, thank you very much for this. I really appreciate it. And uh, I hope that we meet again on one of these sessions. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Tom. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you both. Adam, you have uh, submitted a question. And also some others have joined us late. So I'll let you go ahead with your question, Adam. And if any others who are present here have a question, please type it into the chat box and we'll have your question. You can go ahead and ask your question as uh, as that goes. Go Hello. ahead, Adam. Tom, can you hear me? I hear you just fine, Adam. What's up? Good to see you, pal. Yeah. So my question was on hard style teachers, what I'm going to call. Um, And I think I wrote it out, but I think it's like, you know, the military, they're really hard training and and what your opinion was on um, hard style teachers. There's been a lot of Olympic champions who've had really hard mentors, but they say it's made them a lot better. And and w what is your whole concept on that, on like a hard style learning approach? And does that apply to entropy reduction? And have you had any hard style mentors in your life? Okay, that that kind of hard style, as you call it, teaching is only going to work and is only appropriate for some people. It's not like that's a style that works really well for everybody. Some people can relate to that and others don't. Some people uh, let that hardness kind of drive them forward. Then they if they you know, if more is demanded of them, they try all that harder, you know, to meet that demand and they end up uh, going maybe farther than they would be and other methods. Other people are just the opposite. If somebody pushes them, they push back. If somebody says, do a hundred push-ups, they don't feel like doing push-ups at all because they don't like being ordered around. So it's just a different kind of personality. Some people do well with that. Some people don't. And it kind of depends on what it is they're learning to do. If what they're learning to do is something very 
simple. Now, what I mean by simple is it's not a lot of complexity in choice making. There may be complexity in process. Let's say what they're trying to do is something athletic. What they're trying to do is, you know, be a good tight end on a football team. Or what they're trying to do is, um, you know, throw a javelin farther than anybody else or whatever. Run the mile, you know, quicker than anybody else. That's what I would say is something that's very simple. It doesn't have a lot of choices in it. It doesn't have a lot of structure in it. It's just getting very, very, very good at a very specific, very limited thing. Okay. Now, in those instances, the hard, you know, the hard uh, teachers or the hard coaches probably do pretty well because somebody has to be really motivated to be there in the first place. If what you're trying to do is throw a javelin farther than anybody else, then that's something you really want to do. And if you really want to do it, then having somebody that pushes you probably works pretty well for you. And because it's so simple and not come, doesn't have any complexity to it, you just practice and practice and practice and exercise and, you know, lift your weights and get into shape and practice some more and so on. Then that kind of a job is one that a hard driving teacher can work wonders with. On the other hand, if what you're trying to do is, let's say on the opposite end, what you're trying to do is grow up and, you know, decrease your entropy and become love, well, a hard-driving commander will be just totally dysfunctional. Wouldn't be any value whatsoever. Would be just the opposite. It would make everything harder and more difficult, and it would just be a terrible thing to do. So I would say that, you know, my attitude toward the, the hard training like the military and so on if the job is very simple, you know, for the military, they just want you to obey, follow orders. Take that hill, you take that hill. You don't say, well, why? Why that hill? You know, why not the next hill? And, um, you know, so on. You just do what you're told and you you, you uh, do what you've been trained to do. Those things are simple. You know, that's like in the Tinker Toys level of, you know, of interaction. It's a very simple process. I don't mean that that's necessarily easy to do. It's hard to throw a javelin faster or harder or further than anybody else has thrown it before, but it's just a simple thing to do. But anything that's complex that has to do with, like, growing up or has to do with mastering uh, a new job. Let's say you take a new job at at a company, and it's a job that's very challenging for you because you've never had a job like that before. Okay, maybe you've always been... uh you know, uh, on the, on the line doing the, doing the work down at the bottom level and now you're a manager and you've never managed before. Well, somebody that gives you a lot of, you know, hard, uh, uh, pushing is just going to be counterproductive because management takes a lot of skills, a lot of people skills, a lot of understanding, a lot of big picture viewpoint, a lot of things that you can't do by pushing somebody. You see? So my take on that would be if it's a very simple task you're trying to get done, like you want to be like Cool Hand Luke and swallow more eggs than anybody's ever swallowed before, then, yes, you can have a coach that, you know, pushes you and pushes you, and you'll get good at it. But if you want to do something that's more complicated, like having a good relationship, you know, like, you know, having a really good marriage or, uh, you know, raising your children, well, having a coach that pushes you is totally counterproductive. And it's not helpful at all. So for the simplest things, yeah, 
For anything else, no. All right, great. Thank you. So I'm assuming it wouldn't be good to push my kids in that manner either. You know, my little toddler. <laughs> giving them hard style. <laughs> no, not good at all. Pushing children, pushing children to grow up is usually very counterproductive. They end up doing the opposite because people don't like being pushed. They resent being bullied. They resent being pushed. And when you push them, they may be forced to do what you say, but eventually they'll do just the opposite. And they will do it even though in their mind, they're not doing it just to get even or to spite you, but at a being level, that's what's going on. They have to do that for their own self-respect. They couldn't respect themselves if they just let themselves get pushed around. They have to go the opposite direction. So if you want to force children to do the wrong thing, all you have to do is demand incessantly that they do the right thing. <laughs> you will You will push them to do the wrong thing. So no, parenting is one of those things that takes a, uh, you know, that's a complex, very complex job being a good parent. And, uh, and it's a very complex job of growing up when you're a child. So that takes a, a very, uh, nuanced and understanding hand, not a, not a hard hand. Thank you, Adam. Jordan, if you'd like to go ahead with your question, uh, please go ahead. All right. Um, can you give your definition of ego? And with an example of acting from your ego, and then an example of, um, I guess, an egoless state. I'm kind of uh, caught up on the definition of ego that you use as it relates to identity and as it relates to thoughts. Um, so, if you could give your definite the MBT definition of of ego, and then an example of okay. Kind of like a goofus and gallant kind of thing, you know, like this is acting from an ego state and this is not acting from an ego state kind of thing, okay. if it's possible. Sure, sure. Um, my definition of ego is awareness in the service of fear. That's ego. Awareness in the service of fear. Now, awareness in the service of love is not ego at all. When I talk about ego, it's not about that you are aware of yourself or aware that you exist or, you know, aware of the, of the capital I that is you. That, that's just awareness. Awareness is aware of self. Self-awareness. Okay. Awareness is a good thing. That's you being conscious. All consciousness is aware. So let's say, uh, here's a, a difference between, um, ego in the service of fear is typically ego that is trying to justify things. Uh, when you get upset, when you get angry, that's your ego. It's about you. Uh, you want things to be the way you want them. Uh, you, you, uh, you have a sense of what's right and the way people should be. And when they're not that way, you find them annoying. You'd like to explain to them how they ought to be different. All of that's ego, you see. That's all you trying to control the world to be the way you want it. That's because you have fear that if the world isn't the way you want it, it's going to be bad. It's not going to be, you know, it's going to be suboptimal because you know what's best. Well, everybody feels that way that they know what's best and they don't agree on what it is that they ought to be doing or what you ought to be doing. So it tends to be, you know, ego versus ego 
out in the world is what we do. Most people make most of their choices, probably 80% of everybody's choices that they make are made out of fear, ego, and belief. It's the way we tend to operate. It's the nature of a low, of a high entropy consciousness to do that. So it's normal. So my definition of ego as awareness in the service of fear turns out to be almost exactly the same thing as Freud's definition of ego. He had ego as the, you know, as the sense of self, but because most people are driven by fear, then most people's sense of self is ego and fear related, which makes my definition and Freud's definition about the same thing. Okay, so um, let's go to the other example. What is what is you know what is awareness in the service of love? Well, awareness in the service of love is awareness about other. It's about other people. How can I be helpful, as opposed to what can I get and what do I need and how can I get it? How can I give, as opposed to what can I get? Um, Awareness in the service, or awareness in the service of love is not about self. Fear is always about self. So when you are fearful, that fear is always about you. So anything that has to do with your fear is about you. It's self-centered, self-focused, and that's ego. So now it's very difficult sometimes to tell the difference between you, if you do an act or you do something, whether that's out of ego or whether that's not, that's not necessarily a clear thing to judge because you have this, this, this ego is such that it justifies everything. So when you do something, your ego tells you that that's a good thing to do. You couldn't have done anything else. That was the best choice. And that's, you know, that was a fine thing to do. And your ego will tell you that whether that's true or not. Because the fear at the bottom of that is doing things that aren't right, doing things that aren't helpful, doing, you know, and having a, a wrong understanding, being trapped inside your beliefs. Nobody wants to feel wrong. Everybody'd like to feel right. So that ego always tells us that we're right. So when we say, well, I'm going to do this and I don't want it to be out of my ego. I just want to do it out of caring. It's hard to tell. That ego is very slick at getting you to think you're doing it out of caring when you're really not. You're doing it because you think you should be doing it. So I want to be kind to people because I think I know I should. That's a good way to be. Kind is a nice thing. So when I see somebody that, that needs help, I will be kind to them. So you see somebody that needs help and you go over and you help them out. If you do that because you think you should, then that's coming out of the intellect and that's your ego operating. The fear is, you know, the, the fear related to that is the fear of not being kind or of not being helpful because you've already decided that not being helpful is a bad thing and you don't want to be bad. Therefore, you are a good person. So I don't know if I'm confusing you or not, but the, the idea is the difference is your intent, your capital I intent. What is your motivator? What down deep at your being level is really the reason why you're doing what you're doing? If the deep down reason is you're being motivated by fear, 
then that's your ego talking and your beliefs talking. If what you're deep down level is motivated by caring, by love, by caring about other, then it's not your ego talking. So when we get rid of our fear, then ego and the beliefs disappear with it. And then all of our choices are made in the service of love. And then we have a very low entropy. So most of us are struggling with our, with our ego. It's just a common thing. I mean, that's why we're here. We're here to, you know, to, to, uh, become a higher quality consciousness and get rid of the fear and ego. But it's a long process that we're struggling with it. Um, that's kind of my first shot at that. Do you have some questions coming back that would uh, let me know of whether I've, I've uh, created more questions or giving you an answer? Okay. I think that uh, Jordan must have been listening in and has been satisfied with that question. Um, Mario, you also have a question. Mario and Celso are the two who have translated Tom's My Big Toe into Portuguese. And Tom will be visiting Brazil uh, sometime this year. Mario, if you'd like to talk about that and ask your question, please go ahead. We are very anxious here because we're, we're doing a lot of work to, to bring Tom here. We just released uh, a brief ebook with some sample of, of information on my big toe to try to help marketing it. And we are just finishing up selecting the place and, uh, you know, a lot of actions around. It's going to be on 3 and 4 of August, uh, the event with Tony in Brazil. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we are <laughs> really anxious about it and working hard. Okay. And then uh, about the question, uh, what I was interesting uh, making sure I understand I have a, a, a something I think about the binaries that is related to to what you said uh, as an answer to some questions before okay, okay. Uh, they are said some some way to be uh, a general impulse on everyone's ability to access LCS even if untrained okay but it seems to me that it should be a lot similar to what you just explained a few questions before on meditation and DMT. If a person is not ready or do not have enough quality of being, it will not necessarily help them to, to reach the system. Uh, does that uh, sound, uh, uh, this reasoning sounds okay to you? Does it make sense? Uh, because I don't feel the binaries are necessarily, they are useful for whoever is read, it seems to be, or if, if you're not read, they will not be useful. Okay, I'm, I'm not sure. That, that's it. Can you okay. comment on Sure. That? Well, the whole point of meditation and the whole point of being on a, a, a spiritual journey is to get yourself ready, to become ready. You don't have to start ready. You have to start from wherever you are and then through your, your, your uh, process growing up, you become more and more ready. That's what growing up means. You become uh, lower and lower entropy. You become higher quality. And that's just a, you know, it's a path. It takes a long time. It's a lifetime process of, um, of doing that. So the binaural beats 
will help you in that process. If you have a hard time meditating, say, if you're not a very accomplished meditator, then the binaural beats can help you. The binaural beats aren't good for everybody, but people who, let's say, cannot get into a good theta state, that is their, an EEG on their brain would come up with a, with a dominant theta as their energy in their, in their brain waves. That's about a four hertz, uh, frequency. If you're not able to get into that state and hold it for say close to an hour, then that's a problem. If you're trying to do, you know, if you're trying to do things with your mind and you, you need to be able to get there and hold that state, then the binaural beats can help you because it will put you in that state. It, it does brainwave entrainment, kind of sticks you in a theta state and holds you there. So that lets you work in an area that you wouldn't be quite ready for yet. And you're saying, is this a problem? You know, you're getting ahead of the, taking the cart in front of the horse here. Well, not really. I think if you use the binaural beats, that will give you an ability to speed up your, your growth process. It'll help you get into a state that will allow you to get acquainted with your own consciousness and to get a bigger picture and all of that will help you grow up more. So it's a good positive thing on your path. Okay. To, to, uh, to use that technology, but you also have to know when to take the headphones off and not use the binaural beats. They're just a good tool for beginners who have trouble getting there on their own. You need to progress past that point. If you never progress past that point, then you're using binaural beats as a crutch. And you're stuck with your crutch. You can't walk very well because you can't walk anywhere unless you have a crutch. Well, you need to get beyond the beats to where you can do it without having to listen to them. In the beginning, a crutch is very helpful in helping you get around when you're not able to. So the binaural beats are just this tool that helps you get into a good meditation state. Um, It's not, I don't think there's a problem there with it getting you ahead of yourself. It may, you know, like all, like all times, if you're challenged, if you're particularly challenged, if you get, um, you know, if you, if you get into a math course that's a little more advanced than you're ready for, it doesn't mean you won't pass the course. It just means you're going to have to work awfully hard to catch up. Well, maybe that's like this too. You know, if you have put on the binaural beats, you're going to get a little ahead of yourself and you may have to just work a little extra harder to get caught up, but you can get caught up. And it, uh, I think it's a positive thing. So binaural beats are a good training aid for beginners. But when you're not a beginner anymore, you need to let go of them. And even if you've only been, you know, and you don't really know probably whether you're a beginner or not. You know, a lot of people are more ready than they are aware of. And a lot of people are less ready than they think. So just your own opinion of your readiness probably isn't worth a whole lot. The thing to do is take those headphones off and see if you can't function without them. Work for, work at it for a month and see if you can function without them. In the beginning, you'll think you can't, but give it a little time and maybe you you can. So does that answer your question, Mario? Yes, it does. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mario. Carolyn has a question uh, also for you, Tom. You have said that humanity is not ready for the information 
that you're going to write in, in your book, Primal Man, Primal Woman. Uh, what would be an example of such information? And do you think that the people who are familiar with your work are ready for this information? Well, I think the people that are familiar with my work are probably a lot more ready for this information than those that aren't. Yes, it's you know it requires someone who is not so caught up in their own beliefs and in their own ego. If you're wrapped up around beliefs, and in this field particularly, the the idea of gender, we have a lot of beliefs. We have a lot of social constructs that uh, have us thinking one way or another, right? There's a lot of social constructs out there about the way we should think about these these ideas and what should the way they should be. And when you have a lot of people that are making their choices and seeing their reality through the lens of their beliefs and through the lens of their culture, then you have an audience that is really not quite ready to see things independently of that culture. So I think that's the, that's really the key. Our culture has a lot of, of um, notions and beliefs about gender and what it means to be male, what it means to be female, the relationship between the two. And because we have so many beliefs and so much hardwiring from our culture, it's a tough subject to discuss rationally because beliefs are not rational. Those beliefs are based on fears and fears are not rational. So to have a discussion with a lot of people who are full of beliefs and not rational is not really a very productive discussion to have. So that's why I say that uh, in in some ways uh, the male-female book is maybe a little before its time. But I don't know that it's a long way before it's time. I think that uh, when when the time is ready, the system will provide me with the time I need to write it. Right now, I'm very very busy, and I, you know, this I'm probably uh, going off to some event, you know, almost like every other week, and then it takes me a week or two to get back my backlog or the email caught up by then I'm ready to go for another week and it just is leaves very little time for anything else right now so I'm not able to write the book but I keep writing it in my head I keep uh, you know writing chapter after chapter in my mind and I think maybe it's just not time which is why I don't have the time so when I get out of this this mode of constantly uh, on a treadmill going from event to event I believe I will have time to sit down and write because the way I write, I need blocks of like four or five hours at a time. I cannot write a book in 10 minute segments, you know, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there, 10 minutes, something else, you know, between phone calls and between events. I just can't function that way. I need to get into it with hours, big blocks of hours. And I just don't have that now, but when I do have it and I don't know when that'll be, you know, maybe two, three, four years from now, I don't know. When I get that time, um, I think it won't take that long to write it. I think maybe a year, maybe a year and a half, I'll get it out. And hopefully the the, uh, culture will be ready to have that discussion and will be able to have it without being hung up on a lot of beliefs and social constructs uh, from their culture. If so, I think it's going to be a, um, 
a, a book that will help people get free. I mean, that's the whole point. Uh, you know, I wrote My Big Toe because I thought that people needed to have an understanding of the bigger picture. And if they had that understanding of a bigger picture, it would free them. It would set them, you know, it would uh, set them loose from the constraints of their fears and their beliefs. And that was important. And this thing on gender is like that too. It's a, it's, there's tremendous amount of confusion, uh, in our culture, in our society about who we are and what we should be and what does it mean, you know, to be male or be female and, and relationship. It's a very confusing time. We're probably more confused about it now than we have been ever. You know, I suspect you go back two or three hundred years, we weren't nearly as confused as we are now. That's because we've been evolving. We've been changing, making progress. And when we change, then we have to re, you know, um, kind of re-engineer who we are. Progress gives us a new environment. With that new environment, we we relate to each other differently. So that's what I mean by, you know, not quite ready. And I think we will be. And besides that, I'm 74 now. I can't wait, but so long to start, to start this thing so that I can get it finished. So I think it's going to be in the next, you know, four or five years, I'm going to be done with it and have it out there. So I'm looking forward to that. And I, I hopefully I'm, this is my goal anyway, is to be something that helps bring clarity and peace and satisfaction to lots and lots of people who better understand themselves and who they are and helps them kind of take off the layers of, of uh, social conditioning and the layers of belief that they've been inculcated with in our culture since they were born and find themselves as a, as a, um, a kind of a, a genuine uh, human being that's able to just be human and express their humanness in a very positive way. So the the idea is to find more, uh, what's the word, more, uh, more, more peace with ourselves, more uh, truth in ourselves. So that's what I hope it, to do. But yes, it's on my webpage. If you want to go read a, a, just a blink of it, it's maybe two or 3% of it, a little bit of the logical backbone of it, but there's much that's not said there. Much that's not said. So I've been, it's one of those books I've been working on now for 20 years. And uh, actually the only reason that 20 pages is there is that I mentioned it. Somebody said, well, Tom, what other things are you working on? And I just happened to mention that which was probably a big mistake because as soon as I mentioned it, people wanted to know about it. So that's why I wrote that 20 pages and put on my website just so I'd have something that I could point them to, to what it was about. Uh, but it's been in my mind for a long time. Be patient. I'll get it out there one day. <laughs>